Um, hey, I get the privilege of, uh, really, this is our second week of our Lent series. Uh, we kicked it off on Ash Wednesday. Uh, if you didn't join us, let, let me kind of set the table here. I know we're used to celebrating Good Friday, and we're used to celebrating Easter, but many of us not so much the whole Lenten season. And so let me give just a few markers of explanation as to what it is and why we're doing this so that you make sure that you know what you're jumping into. Lent is a 40-day period leading up to Easter where we prepare our hearts. It's a season of preparation. Our hope as a staff that you would come join us in this season of repent and renew, and in that preparation, when we celebrate Easter together, that you would find in your heart more love, more conviction, more passion for our matchless name of Jesus Christ than when you began. And really where this thing comes from, there's a lot of uh, historical tradition within the church. It's really starting kind of in the fourth century There's three streams that came together. It started as a, hey, as we get people ready for celebrating baptism, as we bring new converts and new life into the church, let's give them 40 days of preparation and then have them be baptized on Easter. Obviously a high mark in the calendar of the church. And then eventually the church realized like, hey, this is a great season for those that are wayward and those that have been doubting and that those have drifted and fallen away from faith or fallen away from attending church. This is a great season for them to step back in and that's the second stream. And then the final third stream was the church realizing like, hey, this isn't just a season of renewal for the wayward. This is a renewal of our hearts for everyone who's been trying and longing for God to work in their life. And so it eventually grew into this 40-day Lenten season. And there are Lenten practices that, that we've made mention of, right? The idea that during Lent, as you prepare to open your heart to Christ, that you might give up something that is vying for your attention to focus in on Christ. And there's a corporate fast that we'll be doing when we get there in a few weeks, but that's an opportunity to stop doing something. But then there's also an opportunity to potentially pick something up that might be helpful for you in this season of preparation. I want to personally invite you, if you haven't downloaded our Coastline app, you need to do so on your phone. It's very simple. You downloaded a bunch of video games that you play all week long anyway, so you might as well add the Coastline app if you haven't. And then on that app, one of the tiles says Lent Reading. Just click on that. You'll get a personal invitation from me. We've already got almost 50 people that have committed during this Lenten season that we would read through the New Testament together. We're a few days into it. It's not too late to jump in. And it is a lot of fun because we can interact and respond and see the things that we're learning and growing together uh, as we read. And so it's... This belief in this time of preparation, in this season where we're giving our attention and and affection to Christ, we're really asking God to do a new work in our hearts. And I believe a new work always starts with an intentional change of heart. Haven't you found that to be true? If you want to change something in your life, it starts with a change in your mind and in your heart first before it ever becomes an action or an activity. You know, as we think about this revival that took place in Kentucky, this Asbury revival that happened there on the college for 13 days, uh, they live streamed it. Many of us kind of tuned in and saw different parts of it. I was always impressed with 
the reality that the people who put it on did nothing special. That whenever there's a movement of God, it's because God chose to show up. Like if you follow it, Zach, the individual who was preaching that night, when he got off the stage, he texted his wife, right? Latest stinker. I'll be home for dinner soon. Like literally, the text is out there. Like he wasn't even pleased with his own message. And yet God showed up in very deep and profound ways. And so change is always first and foremost about God and what he's doing in our lives. One thing that was striking to me was that if you read the story, I think it came out from CT, that they finished and then there was a gospel trio that finished and then it was over and then there was, it started with maybe 15 to 20 students who just lingered and just stayed to pray. And that somewhere in this time where they are just staying to pray and felt like it wasn't time to leave yet, a a worship leader decided like, well, they're not leaving, and so I guess we're going to continue a little bit, and came up to stage and, and began to lead worship. And I find that profound, because for this individual, they, the, the service was done. They could have made the decision, like, we're done, students are lingering, I'm going home, like, it's time for dinner, time for a late night snack, I'm gone. And instead, they, they saw an opportunity, and they, they simply said yes. They said yes to the opportunity that was in front of them, not knowing what God would do with them in that moment, that it would ultimately lead to a revival that would last for 13 days and expand to different campuses and expand to different rooms. In the article, they let you know that there were 100 people that were volunteering that were part of the university just to keep up with this thing as God's spirit was just heavy and in their midst. And I bring that out because it was a simple yes to an opportunity that I think was part of what started the whole thing. Because it's always about God and his spirit, but yet the spirit as the comforter and as the paraclete is always looking to partner with us. And so the question I want to put in front of us this afternoon is this. How do we open our hearts so that we not only say yes to God, but that we actively look for his hand so that we continue to say yes and follow him? How do we open our hearts to say yes to God? To say yes to the simple opportunities that are gonna be in front of you after this service and as you go into your work week tomorrow, this coming Monday. And to do that, I wanna open up God's word together And I want to take a look at Joel chapter 2. I want to read for us verses 12 through 17, which is going to be our main text for our time together this morning. Can I invite you to stand, uh, open up the Bible on your phone. It'll be on the side screens if you want to follow along, if you want to open your Bible. The prophet Joel in chapter 2 verse 12 writes this. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. 
Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you've given us another day of life and breath. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here and those that are tuning online. For we know that we need to meet with you this morning. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your truth, your text, the Holy Scriptures. That they would do their work to encourage and convict and challenge and to, Father, make us think. And Lord, at the, the end of this time together, we are simply praying that you would do some change in our hearts. That we would walk away with greater clarity and greater conviction and greater desire for you and your work with us as you seek to partner with us this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So we begin here in chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on the holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Now what you have to understand about the context of this minor prophet Joel is that in chapter 1, verse 4, there was this huge locust swarm right? And the swarm came through and basically ate up all of the vegetation and all of the fruit. And you have to remember that at this moment in time, God's people, Israel, is an agrarian society. And so this swarm is so bad and so devastating to their economy that everything is going to collapse. It's like if they let the financial collapse of 2008 just take place and the Fed hadn't stepped in and started quantitative easing. And if that means nothing to you, that's okay. But you just need to know that they're in this moment of economic collapse because of this tragedy. And so when he says, blow the trumpet, it's this national emergency. It's like if Biden had come in with FEMA and said, hey, we've got a national emergency here. But Joel backs away from the current crisis and says, guys, we have an even bigger problem. A bigger problem than we have no fruit, we have no food. The locusts have eaten it all. There's a bigger problem than that. And that's that your hearts are cold and distracted and distant from your creator. And that's why in verse 2, he's going to go in and say, hey, sound the alarm because the day of the Lord is coming. And the language in the Old Testament, what that means is, yes, this national calamity is bad, but there's a day coming that's going to be even more disastrous if you're not in right relationship with God. There's a day that we would say that links to it in the New Testament where we say, like, Christ is going to come back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And so Joel is bringing his people back to say, yes, this, this national calamity of this locust swarm from chapter 1, verse 4, it's a problem. 
But we have an even greater problem, and that is the condition of our hearts, that we are distant and distracted from the Lord. And so Joel is trying to get their attention to this reality. Now look with me in chapter 2, verse 12. Out of Joel, the Lord gives his response for these individuals who are cold and distant and distracted hearts that are in need of change. Look at verse 12. He says, even now declares the Lord Yahweh. Even now declares Yahweh. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. He's going to say it again in verse 13. Return to me. I know you're distant. I know you're distracted. I know you don't care right now. But God in his grace gives this tremendous offer where he even highlights saying, even now, even now when you're at your worst, even now when you're under national calamity, now is the time to return to me. The Hebrew there is a technical term. This term to return, we would understand as repentance. It's a Hebrew word that has this technical understanding that we would turn and repent from our sin and we would turn toward the Lord. That's the call and the opportunity that the Lord gives. Says, look, the solution for your distant and distracted hearts is for you to return to me. Now, whenever we repent, it has this dual meaning that we turn from something and we turn to something. We turn away from the things that we're running after that the Lord doesn't want for us. That we often know in our heart of hearts that this isn't good for me. We turn from those things and we turn toward the Lord. It's often about stopping something and starting something new. Look with me, I wanna run through two verses. If you'll put up Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 29 and 30. This is... um, Moses, and he is getting the people ready, giving the law for a second time as they're getting ready to enter the promised land. And he's told them, like, look, there's going to be a season where you're going to enter the land, and you're going to forget God, and you're going to worship a false god, and God's going to have to discipline you. But then he goes on and says, but from there, you seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, Then in later days, you will what? You will return to the Lord your God and obey him. Let me highlight there that return is we repent from our false worship of of, uh, false gods and we turn again to Yahweh, the true living God. And what does it say there? That in that return that we obey him. We stop this false worship and we pick up this new practice of obeying Yahweh, the living God. Look with me over in Hosea chapter 14. I think it's verses 1 through 2 and 3 potentially. It says, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all your sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. 
We will never again say our gods to the false gods that they'd created with their own hands, to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. Again, both of those verses highlighting this reality that to repent is to do more than feel sorrow. When we repent and we turn away from and turn toward the living God, it's more than just an experience of sorrow in my heart. It might start there, but it always moves to action. And look with, in, the, in the passage back in verse 12, he says, return to me what? With all of your heart. The Lord asks his people to come back to him with their whole heart, their entire heart, it's a way of him, for him to say, return and repent. Stop doing what is sinful. Know in my grace you can always turn to me. But when you come to me, come to me with an undivided heart. Now, if you're a student of scripture, you know that this statement of having a divided heart is all over the place. Before Jesus comes, it's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament as well. Let me give us some examples. Go back to the side screens. In 1 Samuel 7, our first example. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and Asherah poles and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of... I think it's supposed to be the hand of the Philistines. So return to the Lord with your whole heart. Go to that next slide for me. 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two options? A way of saying, how long will you have a divided heart? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Go to the next verse for me. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You begin to see the division of heart, of activity, but what's really in their heart, their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. And then finally, I think we look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again and again, we get this scripture that reminds us that as humans, as God's beloved creation, with the fall, we are prone, friends, to have divided hearts. I know in my own life, I long for blessing from the Lord but I also long to be blessed in this world. I long to be used by God, but I also long for a really comfortable life. I long to have great kingdom impact, and maybe you do too. But you know what else I long for? Safety, right? Like, use me, God, but don't abuse me. Right? Like, let me land softly into pillows most days, but I really want to serve you. But I want it to be easy. Friends, we have divided hearts. I think a divided heart is wherever we say, I want what God wants until it differs from what I want. And that's where the Holy Spirit and the Word of God need to come and meet us and do work. 
So, how do we return to the Lord with hearts of repentance so that he can do a new work in us and that we not only return, but we return with hearts that are whole, that are undivided, that are fully devoted to God, to Christ, and to the Holy Spirit? I think Joel, the Lord, I should say, through Joel, gives us a couple ideas to think about as to what it means for us to repent and return to the Lord with a whole heart. And I think he gets at the first idea in verse 13 where he says, rend your heart, look with me, verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. To rend means to tear, to rip, or to cut. It was a common practice for them to rend their garments before they took on sackcloth and ashes to mourn a travesty or a disaster or a death or something that had happened that created sorrow and sadness. And so it was common practice. You can read in the Old Testament, there were many examples. We actually just had one in the book of Esther with Mordecai. Do you remember when he went to the king's gate and he put on sackcloth and ashes? in middle of mourning and protest, he probably ripped his garment as a show of his mourning and his bitterness and his longing. And what's interesting here is the Lord tells him, rend your heart. And in the Hebrew, here's what it means to tear or rip your heart. Tear your heart, not your clothing. And what I get from that is a couple things. The first one is that it's God saying, don't go just through the religious motions. Don't tear your garment in this expression of sorrow when you feel no sorrow over the weight of your sin. Does that make sense? Like it's good to express it, there's nothing wrong with it, but God's going after his people saying, you continue to tear your clothing, what I want you to do is tear your heart which means stop going through just the motions. It also means don't just express it, feel it. Feel it. Don't just go through the activity of tearing and putting on and here I am. Like it's this call to say, when was the last time that you really felt weight? over the reality that your heart really wants something different than you know what God wants for you. It's not in a guilt, punishment. It's just a true examination of stop numbing our hearts and not paying attention, but beginning to really pay attention to, do we really feel anymore? Are we like what we read in Isaiah 29, 13, where it says, look, you're doing all these things with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Now I'll have you know that if you're coming into this space and you're doing the best you can to be here, this is not a message of saying, get with it and get your heart right. It's saying for you to just acknowledge the reality that you're here and that should be celebrated, but if your heart is far from the words that you're singing or that you're proclaiming, to acknowledge that and bring that before the Lord because that's where the Lord really wants to do work. And finally, I think tearing our hearts means simply to care. To care that you are distant and distracted. To care that we are often numb and apathetic. To care that we really want something right now that God really doesn't want for us. And we're all in this together and we're in good company. To care means to care 
that you don't seem to care. There was a great prayer that I learned by a friend of mine, Brian Dowd, when we were in ministry together early on after college. And we're having this conversation, and he saw somebody who was just in dire, desperate physical need. And we walked by, and we were having this conversation, and he said, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I really don't care about the plight of that person. But let's stop. I'll never forget this. We stopped in the moment, and he said, can we pray? And I said, sure. Are we praying for this person? He said, no. I'm praying to the Lord that my heart would want to want to care for that person. That's part of rending our hearts, that we would carry hearts of compassion and care, care that leads to change. Uh, a few months ago, we, uh, maybe not that long ago, um, we had Joyce up here, and Joyce was sharing about how she's a part of St. Andrew's Homeless Ministry, and she had mentioned we were going through a cold season, and she had mentioned that uh, just her heart of compassion, and so many of these people were sleeping on the streets or trying to sleep in cars, and it was cold, and I mean, it was just keeping her up at night as you listen to her talk, and it convicted the heart of my wife, and my wife was in that moment caring so deeply that she cared enough to act that she impressed upon me, Garrick, we gotta give. We gotta do something. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, we, we, we should give. We should, we should give. That's kind of where my heart was at. The right thing to do would be to give. Doesn't mean I really want to in this moment. She's like, no, we gotta give. I'm like, yeah, we should give. No, we need to give, yeah, we should give. See, caring to the extent that you actually move to action is what it means to rend your heart. And sometimes, I'm gonna to get to it later, but we need community to help us do that reality in our lives, to care enough to move into action. So the first idea of how we develop hearts that are wholehearted, that desire God, is to rend our hearts. The second thought is this, to trust God and his good and holy character. Look with me in 13b. It says, rend your heart in your garments, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. See, if we're ever going to repent and turn toward God, we have to be reminded that God is wholly good, which means that he is perfect in his goodness. And in this passage, it's stated seven other places in Scripture for us to never forget the good, loving kindness and the character of our God, particularly expressed to us in his son, Jesus Christ. He says that he is gracious, which means in the Hebrew that he yearns for us like a mother who yearns for her child, that he's compassionate. The Hebrew word there is womb, have you ever been around a pregnant woman? And for the first eight months, I went through this three times as a married man, I was convinced that little lump in your body means way more to you right now than I do, right? Like women get a nine month, head, I'm gonna say an eight month head start because they spend the last month going, get out of my body. But they get an eight month like running start of love and devotion and commitment to a child who hasn't even been born yet. And us males are like, I don't know, I'm waiting for the baby to come out to actually see his face to be like, yes, I love you. But the women have been there for eight months like longing and loving. That's the picture that scripture gives us of Yahweh God. 
and his care and his love for you. Like a pregnant woman longing for her child. He's slow to anger. It's great in the Hebrew. It really says there, he's long of nose. Yeah, he says long of, I'm not lying to you, Safi. It's what scripture says. What that means, if you think about it, what do you do when you get angry? Don't you snarl your face, and when you snarl your face, your nose gets short? Oh, now it makes sense. Like, God's not Pinocchio. He's, he's kind. He's kind with us. He's not vengeful. He's not spiteful. He's not waiting to hit us when we recognize the ways that we miss his holy mark. It says he abounds in love. I've talked about it before. I'll say it again. This is his hesed love. His steadfast, unfailing, loyal love that means that he is constantly kind and good to us. Life can be hard. And I have some friends going through a season that life is just hard. And I can't fix any of it for them. I wish I could. But the only thing I can do is remind my friends that I love dearly that God, even in this, never changes his disposition. That he's always kind and he's always good. See, God's goodness envelops our badness. God's righteousness envelops our unrighteousness. God's grace envelops our sinfulness. And so we must be reminded that God is worth returning to. Amen? Let me say it again. God is worth returning to. Because he's devoted to us. Now he asks us to come with our whole heart and be devoted to him. But keep in mind, friends, that's after he's done everything for us. In all devotion, that he would send his son down to die on the cross that we might live with him forever. He sent the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, so that we would be empowered to love him and enjoy him on a daily basis. He has been so devoted to us. Scripture even says, when we are faithless, he is faithful. God will always be faithful to us. So can we respond to that faithfulness? Can we respond with a new commitment of devotion that's based on God's devotion to us? So, if we're going to return to God with whole hearts, we need to rend our heart. We need to trust God and his good character, and then we need to seek the Lord in committed community. Look with me in verses 15 through 17. Blow the trump on Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, the children, the nursing, bring together the bridegroom and the bride. It's this first part we see all of this commitment. Come, respond to the trumpet, declare a fast, call a sacred assembly, have a worship gathering, gather the people, and cleanse and consecrate yourself before the Lord. All of that, friends, takes time, energy, and activity. If you want to grow this dynamic relationship with Christ, it will take time, energy, and effort. This is why this Lent season is a season of preparation that we would do the work together to set the table for God to begin to change our hearts that we might love him with our whole heart. It takes commitment, but friends, it also takes community. Did you notice in that verses 15 through 17 who is called into this community? It's the whole Israelite family. It's everyone. It's leaders. It's the least of these and the children. 
It's the nursing mothers. It's those who normally get a pass according to Old Testament law. If you are a newlywed, you do not have to uh, enter into any kind of military activity. You do not need to enter any sacred assembly. They give you a year off. Isn't that great? Shouldn't we do that? Like, hey, you got married. Don't work for a year. Just go enjoy each other for a year. Biden's got to get on that. (laughs) But that's what they did. That's fantastic. And even in this moment, he says, this is so important that we give God the opportunity to take our divided hearts and make them undivided, that those who normally get a pass, like the bridegroom and the bride, would be called into the community. Friends, to do this deep work during Lent, you need others. And if you're here and you come on Sunday, fantastic. We love that you're here. But may I encourage you as somebody who wants the best for you to take another step to have people that you're actually walking with. We've made it so easy for you. We've made this fantastic devotional that you can join us. Come and do this work collectively with us. Come and join a community group in this season. Because... Friends, community and walking with others, two things. It's preventative. It's not going to help you when the wheels fall off of your life. It's going to be too late. You need to be walking in community before the wheels fall off in your life. And so if you're a youth and you're here, great. Come join us on Wednesday. If you're an adult and you're here, fantastic. But come join one of our great community groups that happen midweek. They're every other week. They'll take time, energy, and effort, but I guarantee you they're preventative for when the wheels fall off. And the other point that I would make is this. It is more fun to do life together. Amen? Amen. It is more fun to be with others. And yes, it takes work. And yes, other people are messy. And yes, other people offend us. And other people look at the world different than us. And we're like, I don't know about you. Can I be friends with you? Jesus says, yes, through the Holy Spirit, you can. So come join us because life together is preventative and more fun. And finally this, and probably this is the most important piece. Let me remind you of where we've been. If we're going to change our hearts, if we're gonna come with full hearts devoted to God, if we're gonna repent and give all that we are to him, we're gonna rend our hearts, we're gonna trust God's good character, we're gonna seek the Lord in committed community, and finally we're gonna invite the Lord to change our hearts. All the other steps were to set the table. This is the step that really matters. This is the stuff that only God can do. To invite him and say, Lord, I need a change of heart. I need to walk into Coastline and begin to care about the things that I don't care about. I need to walk into Coastline and like Velcro, I need to rip myself off from life practices that I know are bad and wrong for my heart, that they don't encourage me in my intimate walk with Jesus Christ, and I need to rip myself away from that, and then I need to get into a community and turn and begin to love God. But it all hinges upon God changing our hearts. All of that work sets the table The final step is the most important. It's simply inviting the Lord to change our heart. Look with me in verse 17, the uh, second part of it. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. It's a prayer for mercy. Saying, God, I've done everything I can to set the table, 
And now I'm asking you to show up to change this cold, distant, and distracted thing within me. Through your power, through your authority, through your goodness, through your righteousness, through your justice, show up and do work. I'm opening myself up for you, and then I'm going to pay attention. So I'm going to invite Michael to come up for the worship. And I'm going to invite us on the side screens. There's a prayer that I want to invite us into. It's simply an invitation for the Lord to have mercy on us. And it says, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and change my heart. I'm going to give you a minute. Let's pray that prayer together with commitment and conviction. Opening up our lives to the Lord. Saying, Lord, come and have mercy on me and change my heart. Then after we pray this together, we'll go back into worship. And I want to invite you this week as we continue on in our Lenten practices together. Begin to pay attention. God hears this prayer and he will begin to do small things to convict and change the internal workings of our hearts. Let's pay attention to that. Let me invite you into this time. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and change my heart. Spend a minute and pray.